As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Tuesday, June 13th. That means it is Project Prospect Day here on the show. Derek and Riper, you know, Saris, Chris Welsh, all here with you full house today. As we dig into a few topics, we had a recent debut in Colorado that I thought we should discuss on the show because it was a, a non-prospect getting the call over the weekend, but one that could actually help us in some fantasy leagues. We have some clarity forthcoming on Yuri Perez. So we'll talk about what the Marlins appear to be doing with him. Several players at AAA, either recently promoted or playing well at that level, who could be knocking on the door for some big league promotions and may get into some dynasty movers. Welsh has an updated dynasty rankings list coming out later this week. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit this week and a little bit next week, depending, of course, on where the wind takes us. Because as we know, this show goes any number of directions once it begins. But we'll start our... Our branch today, our first branch, is a recent debut. Welsh, who is Coco Montes? He was called up over the weekend by the Rockies, and I think the general consensus in the fantasy community is if a Rockies player gets called up, especially if it's a Rockies hitter, we're interested in learning more about this player to determine if they can take advantage of the hitter-friendly environment that is Coors Field and deliver some fantasy goodness. So I did some number scouting, and I had to wonder... How much of what Coco Montes has done in the minor leagues is simply the byproduct of playing half his games at high altitude Albuquerque? Um, 100% good questions. And these are ones that I don't think any of us are going to have the answer to until we get like a good period of time and some context on him. But he has been a guy that's been on my radar because he's, I try as hard as I can in my development of like who I pay attention to with prospects. He's a total not me guy because he's 26 years old. He's way over aged. He did two stints in AAA, two stints in AA. I mean, he just kept going. He's an age-over level type of guy that doesn't necessarily just jump out to me. But throughout the minors this year, he's done nothing but hit. I actually, prior to the debut, I did put a tweet out that Coco Montes is someone you should pay attention to because this could be a guy because of what he did in the minors. And if he's going to get some run in the majors, that's what we do. He's second, currently you know, out for a couple of days now. But second in the or third, I'm sorry, third in the minors in hits 
overall 78 hits 321 in the minors while also showing some good power and then as you know in the debut he hits a walk-off homer so i think coco montes you know high we look at high elevation and we focus on that what he did the minors well he gets to go do that in the majors for the most part this is just like a high contact guy i don't think there's I'm not even sure if there's 15 plus Homer power in there, but I do think this is a guy that could be one of those like prototypical number two hitters. I think he's going to hit for a good amount of contact and he's just going to be a source of where you're going to be able to pull in at least probably three categories. And if the Rockies were able to put him more in the middle of a lineup over time, you could be four, but I think you're going to be looking at batting average. You're going to be looking at runs and then somewhere between RBI and homers he'll go, but he's not a big stolen base guy. I'm very much into it. I like the contact numbers. He was pulling in the minors quite a bit. Not a big ground ball guy. Just gets a ball in the air. And he's a solid, solid hitter that's going to get opportunity in Colorado. So this is why I think this is a deep league look, at least for the short term. And hopefully they make like an investment in keeping him around for some time because nothing nothing was getting accomplished in AAA. I want to say he might have been the minor leagues hits leader until he got called up. But then a fellow prospect, Yankil uh, Fernandez, actually has taken over for him in Colorado. And Ronnie Mauricio is actually the number one hits player in AAA right now. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Players like this often slip through the cracks. I mean, they're not on prospect lists, not on top 400, top 500 lists, but they get an opportunity. They have ways of helping us. And sometimes in keeper and dynasty leagues, they end up being really good min-bid or near-min-bid pickups yeah. because they play longer than expected. In this to be case, fair, I want to point out, I did have him. I want to say I, he has did. been on my prospect list uh, for the year, and he's been inside the top 300 if people have paid attention to any of it. He has been someone that's been on my radar just because of uh, his ability to hit. But your point is valid across the board. He just screams like, uh, 26 years old, Colorado. Very, very minimal interest in it. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of offensive potential. All he has to do is outplay Harold Castro. Oh, it's just Harold Castro. <laughs> we lost DVR there. <laughs> but he does have to outplay Carol, Harold Castro because there's no Brennan Rogers as well. You know, That's So true. there's really, really no one to take over the spot. Uh, I was just flying through in. the uh, park factors for the different parks in the Rockies uh, system. Okay. And uh, I don't actually know. In 2019, when he was in A ball, I don't know what park that was, because the, there's been all this reorganization. Oh, in, in yeah, that's. What I was about to say I had an answer for you, but you know what? I don't because you're right. They've reorganized so much, and that's kind of the thing. Is he's been around since 2018. He was a 21 year old right. in rookie ball, and that's how long it's this push has kind of taken. I'm pretty for sure him. that Double A is Hartford. Um, yes, and he had a 190 ISO there, and a park that was basically fair. Baseball America says Hartford's uh, home run park factor is like a 0.97, and then uh, then he went to Albuquerque for two years, where his home run park factor uh, was 1.11. But it's not just Albuquerque; it's El Paso, point one point one one, Las Vegas, one point two seven, Salt Lake is point is over one. So you know that's a fairly f- a friendly park. I would say it's generally a friendlier park, uh, friendlier league uh, than the one Hartford's in. Uh, Hartford does have a Bowie in it, uh, but otherwise they're more close to uh, to one there. Any case, I think that that league uh, where he had the 190 ISO is pretty much is closer to where I would think his 
true talent lies, right? So I would think he's somebody that could have averageish power, slightly above average power, but he's packaging that with uh, up and down walk rates and what I expect will be high strikeout rates. So, you know, when I look at these projections, I totally understand where they're coming from. This idea that he'll hit 250 with a large BABIP, maybe because uh, Coors inflates the BABIP, a 27, 28% strikeout rate. Yeah, it's not my type of player. You know? Yeah, he's not I mean, sexy. age aside, you know, just even the plate skills leave me cold a little bit. But, uh, you know, looks like power and a little bit of speed and some opportunity. A 108, ice, 108 max EV in, in the minor leagues this year. If you're sort of drooling at those uh, those nice ISOs, I would say uh, be careful. I don't think those are. I think those are more mirage than anything. Yeah, and to, and just the last to add is it, what's interesting is through if you want to look at it, this seven stops if we're counting the major leagues at through seven stops he's had a one eighty or higher ISO in five of those seven stops. There was a weird really out of pocket one in Double A in two thousand and twenty two, but you know it's something to watch with the contact changes and. You know, I, I should have pulled this because I was looking here. I, I want to say when I was and looking the over, have been getting better over time. I would guess. Yeah, and also what you've seen is you've seen um, line drive rates go up uh, over these last couple levels. He's getting the ball in the air more. Home run to fly ball ratio has gone up, and he's continuously looking to pull the ball even more. So I don't know. Like these are the type of changes at those late levels. This is like late maturation, but this is like maximum tap into what you have so it's yeah like- and that's actually the the one nice thing about like a 26 year old debut is like at least the dude is going to be at his peak <laughs> yeah exactly exactly this is like max effort max talent of what he is is coco montes a 12 team guy nah. nah but is he like our deeper league guys i think it's worth uh taking a peek at dvr unfortunately one of the other uh call-ups that is uh, a big deal um that's coming up right now i don't know if it is a big deal i think he sort of falls into the same bucket as coco montes which is slightly interesting in certain types of leagues probably not the more shallow leagues um but owen white is is being called up by Mm. uh the rangers and uh you know i there there's Everyone's sort of pointing at the fact that his swing strike rate is uh, was down and his strikeout rate is down and, you know, pointing to things like his FIP and his ex-FIP and, um, you know, his expected numbers at AA this year just being kind of poor. Um, I will point to one aspect of his scouting report, or actually two, that I find really compelling. Fangraphs gave him a 70 slider. And they also gave him 50-60 command. Um, That combination, I'd have to expect, is basically what the Guardians try to do. (laughs) And they do pretty well. They sometimes beat my model. You know, they're considered a pitching factory. Uh, And if you think about it, Having a 70 grade slider and 50 and 50 or 60 command, that's uh, a real foundation. I mean, that's that's if I could only give you two things, that's great because everybody always wants to. What's the third thing? Does he have a change up? Does he do this? You know, does he do that? But if I gave you just 
a fastball and a slider you could command really really well and the slider was really good i think like your chances of of having a good outcome are way higher than if you didn't have those things. Like those are, those are some foundational aspects of a pitcher that I'd like. I'm interested to see how it all comes together. Cause he, I I've seen him on the backfields. I've seen him in AFL and yeah, I mean the slider's probably there. I've seen a lot of the curveball usage. I feel like there was more curveball usage in the AFL fastballs fine. Uh, I don't know if, the command is like right up there. Yeah. I keep going back to like Bryce Miller. I keep thinking about Bryce Miller right now. Bryce Miller just coming off of like a, a solid outing and he went right back to who he was. He was 73% fastball and slider. He was just 95 plus and, and slider and fastball. That's all he was. And he got both those pitches in the zone. He pumped the zone and so maybe uh, Owen White was, you know, maybe his, his swing strike rate and his canine are down because he was doing this curveball thing. Yeah, and that, that's where I'm going with it is I wonder what type of pitcher he's going to be. I feel like so many of these guys have been these big primary fastball pitchers that we've seen. Maybe Tanner Bybee wasn't quite, but they all kind of have been that. Taj was one of the big differences. Most of these minor league guys, it's just been like really heavy fastball and not completely unloading a lot of the secondary, optimizing these pitchers. And I just wonder who Owen White's going to be because I don't think his fastball is on par with a lot of these other guys. But if that's that slider true. is punching then you got something there. So I'm just not like insanely optimistic. I'm not the biggest Owen White guy in the world, but he definitely, you know, he's put in the innings over the last couple of years and AFL is a good little, you know, barrier of competition for him to go out. It's just odd that uh, I didn't even see this sign, this call up before he's going from double A straight up. So that's a pretty big push for Owen White. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, that John Gray injury, that blister sort of popped up uh, somewhat unexpectedly, at least to me, on Monday. So that's Maybe the quick adjustment. Short-term deal, huh? Yeah, it could like be. Like a spot starty thing, yeah. Curious to see how it plays out, though. Because I think when you look at the Rangers, the questions you have are, okay, Sands DeGrom especially, as they deal with probably more injuries over the course of the season, because every team will, of their depth starters, of their prospects, who can they actually turn to for high-quality innings? White was someone I was really excited about. And, and like a lot of people, I, I I see the drop in Ks, the increase in walks simultaneously while repeating a level, and that really does lower my expectations a lot compared to where they were when he was pitching at AA before he got slowed by a forearm injury last year. So uh, it is weird to see the 70 slider with that 50, 60 grade on the command, though. That alone makes him pretty intriguing. And maybe they're going to use him as more of a, a glue guy in the short term before using him more in the rotation later on well, this because year. Because ostensibly the plan is that Cody Bradford takes John Gray's turn. Cody Bradford does not have a defining characteristic that I 
uh, would point to is uh, really I enjoy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> like he's he eighty nine seven on the fastball. Um, so he must have a really great breaking ball. Um, maybe the command is there. Uh, but, uh, his numbers pale in comparison to Owen White's at the same, in the same places, you know, uh, at virtually the same times. I'm sure, I'm sure he's in a lot of the same rotations as Owen White. So, uh, I prefer, uh, Owen White to Cody Bradford. And if anything turns into a long-term issue, um, with Gray or Eovaldi, he's always, uh, been a guy or Andrew Haney, who's always been a guy that's been, uh, that's been injured. I would, I could expect, uh, sort of white to leapfrog some of these guys like Spencer Howard, Cody Bradford, uh, own white is the guy that could leapfrog them if there becomes a long-term opportunity. And I think this short-term opportunity will be a bit of a showcase for him to say, can I leap past Cody Bradford and be the sixth starter? here?" I want to throw one other little thing out real quick was, I, I think I mentioned this on the show, my, my contact via via uh, with the Rangers. I had heard a thing about potentially at some point this year, even Jack Leiter being someone who could contribute, especially if he shows consistency. And I do think it's interesting that you've got a double A guy jumping up. Jack Leiter is repeating double A. He has definitely seen some big changes. He's got huge strikeout numbers, uh, 12 point, uh, 12 to one K per nine, but the walks have been the problem, but he made kind of a concerted effort on his approach earlier in the year, except the consistency has just kind of gone back and forth. He had a seven walk game on May 23rd. Uh, he hasn't had a single game this year where he hasn't walked a guy, but three of his last five starts, he's had seven or more strikeouts. He hasn't given up more than five runs since, um, or even four runs since April. And so, I mean, it's been there, but he's a guy that could contribute in some capacity, but this might, we might start seeing what the path is for the Rangers and getting some of these guys contributing in a bullpen multi-inning type of role. And I wonder, you know, Owen to Jack Leiter, who's the guy that has more of a push the whole year. Yeah, yeah I that's think, a good one. I think it might be lighter. I think with Owen White, there's also concerns about how they're going to manage his innings because of the injuries he's dealt with over the years too. With lighter, maybe they're more comfortable letting him go from this. So he's already forward. eaten up 56 of his 92 from last year. So, yeah, you know, yeah. one thing with Jack Leiter is, you know, he's trying to change his approach to yes. pitching, right? Like he's trying to be more north, north south than east west. Yep, that's and, exactly right. Uh, so that's asking him to throw his pitches to new locations. Now, he had a five-and-a-half walk rate doing it the other way, so maybe there's just a true talent, lack of command. Uh, but, um, you know, it may just take all 90 of those innings to get him used to the new way of throwing. And what if, and what if it's like, um, you know, with what they're dealing with, especially any injury is just a brutal blow with the Rangers right now. What if you stack an Owen White and a Jack Leiter and you get those innings in and you just get three, you know, three-ish out of both of them in a game and you turn them into one pitcher? Might be an interesting way to go. You know, maybe you come in the back half of the game with Leiter, you start off with Owen White, and again, I know you take up the roster spots, but it's something it becomes, that the team, the it becomes a little bit of a stress on the bullpen. But uh, the does. Giants are doing it right now. Jake Junis and Sean Manaya are basically one pitcher. So maybe you could do it with double A pitchers that got some weird inning caps. You cap them at four innings total. If you get a dominant performance, you get both of them to take you to the ninth. If it's not great, you probably can get both of them to at least get you to the sixth. So it can be a tax on the bullpen, but if they work in any capacity, if you could be guaranteed, you can get to the sixth or seventh with those two guys. 
you could justify the bullpen not being hit as hard. It's just something I'm thinking about. I'll probably reach out and see if that's any type of consideration with some of these arms, because I think it's an all hands on deck thing with the Rangers with, uh, you know, obviously the DeGrom injury. Yeah, we're seeing a similar thing happening in Miami right now as far as innings management goes. This was expected. Yuri Perez, it sounds like, based on the latest reports from Barry Jackson and Craig Mish of the Miami Herald, that once Trevor Rogers comes off the IL from his biceps injury, Yuri Perez goes down for a while. Reason being, they can just start him like once a week and go shorter with those starts and not really have this guy that's really good at the big league level, but someone you can't use as often as you want to. So it's a really tough line to walk but this seems to be the shorter term plan to keep him closer to that 110 maybe 120 innings while still having him available later in the year if they remain in a position to possibly go to the playoffs marlins as of right now are right in the thick of things as a possible playoff team in the nl so it leads us to a tough question in redraft leagues we knew this day was likely to come and it's not official yet but it's right around the corner how long can we realistically stash a guy like Yuri Perez on a bench in a redraft league, not knowing exactly when he's going to come back? How would you try and forecast that out? Is it only three or four weeks before he's back in the big leagues? Or is it sometime maybe closer to post all-star break before they start breaking him back in as part of maybe even a six-man rotation? I, I would assume it's like after the all-star break. I think that's what you'd have to stomach. And I think you can, and I probably would, because we don't have it official. I think Trevor Rogers, by the way, if I remember correctly, I think he had a setback or I think something happened in his last start. That's not, it wasn't great. I, maybe I'm completely wrong on it, but I thought he had some type of like setback or cancellation of it or whatever, but maybe you get one other start out of it. Let me, I don't mean to like return the question, but I'm just curious, you know, let's say the Marlins want you, you're, you're now the, um, you know, scouting development talent director for this team. This team wants you. And you have this decision to make. What is the best play? Bring the guy down for a month, six weeks in the minors, and do one start, or have him pitch two, you know, two games a week in the majors, two innings plus max, where you can cap it. Like, do you think you, know, you guys were talking yesterday about the Stanford pitcher going 156, and you want to talk about arm and development? Do you really think pushing a guy to pitch two innings for six weeks or whatever hurts? his ability to go deeper later in the season? Like, is that a developmental stunt? Like what's the play that you have that organization do with Yuri Perez? Yeah, I think uh, especially since this team is currently in second place and tied for the first wild card or a half game out of the first wild card. And they have this long history of not succeeding. <laughs> Um, I would try to use every inning of his that I could in the major leagues. And so whatever the plan would be in the minor leagues, I would just do that in the major leagues because it's not like this bullpen is amazing. You know, it's not like you look at this bullpen and you say, oh, well, you know, what if Yuri Perez was taking away innings from, you know, <laughs> who would he be? He would be taking away innings from, Braxton Garrett. Nardi, oh, you're talking about the bullpen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven Okert. Brian Hoing. Hoing. Mm. Hoing. Hoing. Uh, anyway, uh, that's how I would do it. I would do it in the major leagues. Uh, and I guess the difficulty becomes roster management. 
because in order to have Yuri Perez in the major leagues while Trevor Rogers is up, and it does seem like there are they are doing some medical testing on Trevor Rogers. Um, yeah, it says it that uh, he could make a rehab start early this week if he receives positive uh, positive medical records Sunday. I've not heard an update on that since, um, but. If you were going to have your Perez on this team and Trevor Rogers on this team, you would have to have da, 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 the corresponding move. <laughs> and uh, the corresponding move would have to be, I think that there are uh, enough players on this team that have options. Um, you know, somebody like Andrew Nardi uh, could go down, but Andrew Nardi has been pitching really well. So you might actually cost yourself someone that has been pitching pretty well. Uh, Huascar Brazoban might be my uh, might be my pick. Thirty uh, three year old righty with three options uh, that has a pretty poor command. Uh, why couldn't Yuri Perez step in to Huascar Brazoban's role um, and maybe even uh, try to keep him semi stretched out with two winning stints? Uh, yeah. And the the one big thing is your manager will hate you for it. Because there, you will have a guy in your bullpen that you can pitch two innings tonight, and then he has to rest for four days. That's the hard part for sure. But yeah, I think between Brazabon, Nardi, and Hoeing all having options in addition to Perez, four relievers with options gives you enough flexibility where you might be able to get through this stretch in the schedule. It is interesting, too, in that report from Barry Jackson and Craig Mish, you see that the organization is conflicted about whether to actually send him down or try something like this. I think he's at a level, he pitches at a level where you'd rather get those innings. You're getting upgraded bullpen innings. Someone goes short, someone has to leave because of an injury or they're not pitching well. Or you just in the spot, starting you gotta... rotation will get injured. And then by the time you need to put Perez back in, right? All so they do. It's That's like all just a softly managing uh, like a three-week spot, right? Yeah, and I think Cueto just started a rehab assignment as well. Just throwing that out. I think he just started it like last week. So that throws a little bit of a wrinkle in it. But getting back all the way to that question, it's like if they could keep him, because I don't think two two inning stints a week hurts the development of a guy being able to be stretched out and go deeper into games and can help you the rest of the year. That would make it so much more palatable to hold on to him in our leagues because you're still getting a little bit of run, even though it's not great. We know the talent leagues or whatever you can. Yeah, you could just throw him out there, but obviously it, it's going to put like rubber meets the road for a lot of people. If they say, Hey, he's going down, he'll be back post all-star break. I'd, I'd hold as long as I could. I That's would hold so as well. Time. I would have a tough time cutting him. Yeah. It'd have to be other guys are hurt that you can't let go of because their ceilings are even higher. I think if you're going to get squeezed into that spot, I think from a bridging the gap perspective, so much more to have as your ninth pitcher, if he's able to get you some innings out of the bullpen, but that decision, depending on the health of Rogers could be just around the corner. Let's talk about some players who have either been promoted recently to AAA or maybe been there throughout the season who could be knocking on the door for a promotion. Mike Vassell in the Mets organization just got the bump from AA, and maybe he's a little further away than the other players in this group. But this is a guy that I didn't really know a ton about coming into the season. He's 23, turned 23 back in March, former eighth-round pick in 2021. Really took a big step forward at double A. The numbers at high A last year were kind of just okay. Over a strikeout per inning, but the ERA was up over five. Excellent control. Still missed a lot of bats. Had a little bit of a home run issue at double A Binghamton. This Mets team's in such a weird spot that I think you're kind of at the anything is possible point where they're going to start making some more drastic moves. 
and they've had some trouble in the back end of that rotation backfilling for some of the injured starters they had earlier this year as well. So do you think we're going to see Vassal at some point before this summer is over? Seems like it. It definitely seems like they also, again, in the preparation of everything, he was in the AFL this past year. You know, it's one of the biggest and one of the reasons and you can always, you know, uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together. These teams send almost all of these guys in to be ready to, for rigors more. I mean, sometimes guys are injured and stuff like that, but it's like it's the setting off point for these guys being ready to be in the major league. You have major league coaches that are out there. You're playing against top talent like they put these pitchers out there usually when they're getting close to the majors, even though he was, uh, you know, at lower levels. Vassal looks like he's going to be one of those guys. I'm not the biggest fan. I saw him pitch once in the AFL. Um, obviously this year's numbers have been great. I do think there's a pretty big, uh, fly ball issue that's going on. I don't think he's a monster strikeout guy, but he could eat up innings and he's had a really successful run. So we should count that. So yeah, I think, uh, any of these guys at this moment that have been brought up to AAA are post all-star game options that teams are looking at when depth is needed. So I think Vassal hundred percent could get a few starts in with the Mets. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, a whiff of developmental success here with Vassal, who wasn't uh, amazing at Virginia and was an eighth-round pick um, and has really sort of steadily uh, marched forward in terms of strikeout rate and swing strike rate, a nice 17% swing strike rate at A this year. Apparently, his slider is up five miles an hour from where it was in college, and uh, that always gets my attention. 85 to 88 on the slider, 94 on the fastball with good spin and life. Um, so, you know, this is uh, somebody I've got my eye on. I, I, I'm, I'd be hoping for uh, sort of a sneaky, uh, less trumpeted FAB bid, uh, you know, a little a little uh, uh, single digit action or something, something, <laughs> you know, something. I think that's all that anyone has left after some three forties I saw in my leagues, you know, how much money do you have left anyway? But uh, you know, and the other thing is uh, for Vassal, I think there's, there's going to be some opportunity in this Mets uh, rotation, uh, you know, either they go in one direction and want to see what they have for next year, uh, you know, or they go in another direction uh, and uh, want to have something better than Tyler Megill uh, or David Peterson pitching, uh, you know, at the back end of their rotation. So um, I would guess that he gets, you know, five starts in the major leagues this year. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply victorinox the makers of the original swiss army knife have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges mastering functionality innovation iconic design and uncompromising quality with its products the victorinox swiss army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers a screwdriver and even a corkscrew with the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of done with McGill and, and Peterson as 
replacement starters at this point. You've seen enough to the point where you're not really expecting much to change for those two guys at this stage. Uh, it's funny that you you think of, of Vassal as maybe a guy that could come up later this year and be a relative cheap fab addition. For anyone who has money left, if we see Emmett Sheehan get the call, I think that's where the <laughs> the remaining fab hammers on the pitching side are probably gimme, gimme, going gimme, gimme, in gimme. that direction. <laughs> it seems like gimme. they're going to need him, though, right? I mean, they've already been dealing with their share of injuries. We've seen Gavin Stone struggle with the opportunity. We talked about Bobby Miller yesterday. He's been fantastic so far. But still, you could look at this Dodgers team and pretty easily find room for another pitching prospect in the second half. Yeah, th- this is like... Um... This is where I'm going to be very blowhardy and like, like, oh, talk about my AFL. Like he was maybe one of the best pitchers in the Arizona Fall League. One thing I would throw in, which doesn't show up on this, is if you we've done this a lot is like where we play the innings game and we look and we're like, okay, well, Sheehan had, you know, 67 innings. But what you've also got to do is throw another 20 to 30. I'd have to go back and look at the AFL numbers. But he actually with AFL probably pushed closer to 90 innings last year. One of the reasons they brought him back. So you want to start pushing. Maybe he could get to 120, 130 if they feel really good about it. And he's at 50 right now. So there's 80 good innings in. And Sheehan has been one of the most dominant pitchers in the minors. Uh, It skews all the numbers when you look now because you've got complex level and stuff like that. But he has been at the top of swing strike percentage, strikeout percentage, he has been one of the leaders in on the 41.7% year. 41.7% in AA this year. Woo-hoo. Bonkers. A f- almost 15K per nine yeah. on the season, which is crazy stuff. A 10% walk rate. It's still given him an over 30% K minus walk percentage. He has absolutely pounded the zone. Uh, the fastball release point is really interesting in how he's getting on guys. I think it's making the fastball even better. It can throw strikes. He's had the inning work last year, and he, like I said, he's been like top five most dominant pitchers, and this is a guy that the Dodgers can absolutely work with, with however they want to mess with their rotations and stuff, that I think um, two, three starts in here to see what they have at AAA, the clock starts to tick, and when they bring Sheehan up, it's to finish out the year. So I, like you said, you nailed it, DBR, like, this is like a hammer of whatever the hell you have left if he comes up because, boy, there's opportunity in that Dodgers rotation. You're not at all worried how they played. bring him up to do some sort of uh, relieving to end this season. You know, And they may. And if they do, they'll tell us. I, I, you know, here's another thing. Let me throw this out. Dustin May kind of stunk, like, for some degrees. I know the ERA was, like, better well, strikeout numbers think, were bad. I was going to say there is opportunity in that in that rotation, but it's its name is Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, Noah Syndergaard, whoop, I completely agree. But between injuries with May, injuries with Urias, Syndergaard being bad. Bobby Miller's been a pleasant spot. Gavin Stone has stunk. Uh, Groove, not great. That A, they just throw him in, but B, maybe there is, again, a piggyback situation. They like to mess around with those things. Either way, no matter what it is, I think it benefits. And I think guys like Stone would be the guy to get one or two innings in relief, not Sheehan. I think it's Mm. Groove, Stone, those guys, and maybe... Not saying they would do it, but maybe May is one of those guys that they just try to limit some of the chaos they've had with him. But probably not. Uh, Syndergaard is the first uh, the first domino to fall. But uh, I'm very, very much in on Sheehan. And hopefully they tell us what it is, too, so we don't have to play a guessing game. Because that would suck to not know. And then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to be relieved the rest of the way through. I don't know if they would necessarily turn to someone arriving as a standalone closer, but... That's an unsettled enough 
save situation where saves aren't out of the question for someone who comes up and gets high leverage opportunities. They could just go full committee. And there's a few ways it could actually work out depending on what they want to do and who's actually healthy at the time that Sheehan eventually gets that opportunity. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I was just at the Dodgers complex last week and Daniel Hudson was rehabbing and he threw in the game. This was on Tuesday or Wednesday. And then he threw one more. It was really good. He looks like back on point. He should be back soon-ish. And it'll he'll be kind of the guy in my mind to kind of watch, see what leverage point they put him in the rotation. And then, like you said, maybe they do throw one of those guys out there, one of those young guys in and they just, you know, bruised R and maybe it's a bruised R and a stone or bruised R and a Emmett Sheehan. You never know. You know, I'll throw this one to you first. Luis Matos putting together a great season in the minors, thriving at AAA after a great start at AA. Is he coming to San Francisco this summer? Can he help this Giants team? Do they have room to just bring him up and make him a fixture in that outfield mix? Austin Slater can't stay healthy, hasn't looked great in center, has been playing in left. Mike Yastrzemski is, I don't think, a great center fielder defensively anymore. They've had people like Bryce Johnson and Blake Wisely on the roster to patch over the fact that maybe late in the game defensively, you'd rather have somebody else in center. So Bryce Johnson, whose best skill is that he runs fast, has been uh, the center fielder late in game sometimes when he's up. All this to say, there's a massive opportunity in center field, I believe, in San Francisco. I think they can probably find some way to keep Yastrzemski, Hanniger, and Conforto, and Peterson all mostly in the lineup most days, even if they call up Luis Matos and play him every day in center. So I don't know if this is just me drinking the local Kool-Aid or, you know, I did spend a lot of time in the clubhouse in San Francisco sort of talking this over with other people. Um I feel like he's close. I feel like he'll be up this year. I think that he'll be up in the next three weeks. And there's a slight whiff of kind of like Luis Arias in center that <laughs> I get off of him um, that uh, is pretty enticing to a lot of people. I just I, I, I don't believe the powers is really that uh, big of a thing for him. Um, I think it'll be just enough power to keep people honest and to 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 keep that batting average up. It's not like a Nick Madrigal situation where he can't hit the ball hard. Um, and uh, I believe in the wheels and I believe in the center field defense. And that bad year in high A last year, it was 407 plate appearances in high A in 2022 uh, with a 74 WRC plus. But at the time, uh, he was 20 years old. Um, and I do think he gets at least one 25 point WRC plus boost based on his age alone. So if you look at his, uh, you know, his WRC pluses across and you give him a hundred uh, in that one, he's uh, either been pretty good uh, or very good at most stops. So I think seen within the lens of, of sort of year at, at age at level uh, that 2022 is not as bad as it looks. I had to make the difficult call in a keeper league where it was not, I didn't have enough roster spots and I decided that, Matos was going to take longer than I was willing to wait, and yeah, I let him go. Him in, I don't know. <laughs> and I am regretting that right now. I, I think the the question I have for you, Welsh, is where do you see the ceiling with Matos? I mean, I think Eno is, is shining some light on fair questions about his power, but because he's so young, 
there's still some significant physical growth potential for Matos. So um, where are you at ceiling wise on him? Yeah, I wish I could. I couldn't find it, uh, especially on desktop Twitter here. But I was trying to find some of the video from the AFL of Matos because I got a couple just absolutely towering balls. Because the thing with him is, is um, I, I like his stance. I like his approach. It's really easy. Turns on it and he barrels baseballs. And he he's one of those guys who just taps into power that doesn't look like it's there because he's not like the biggest guy in the world. They list him 5'11", 160. And then mm. maybe a little bit more weight on it. Um I think I, it's funny because I think he could go one of two ways. He could easily be that guy that is just a better real life player than fantasy player. But I also think there is something in there for what he's done at his age that he might blow by expectations because he's probably one of the least heralded guys for what he's done this year. Uh, one of the most astonishing things to me to think about is think of, this is a 21 year old kid. He's striking out 7% of the time, 7% of the time. With an over 250 ISO in AAA. That's bonkers. That's insane. He's also at multiple stops, walked a decent amount, and he's overcome some crazy adversity. He ended up winning, I think so, some award in the, the AFL. He was one of the best hitters that was out here for a period of time. And uh, he's got really good instincts. He can run. And I think right now he's set at like a 915 pace. I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, peak. He's a 2020 guy. I think he can put up a 15-15 season pretty easy, and he'll be a much more valuable fantasy asset uh, in the short term than we think. And I agree with Eno. I think he's going to be up. I think he's up soon. I think it's that. I don't mean to create like arbitrary date, uh, arbitrary stuff here, but it's like the All Star game seems likely. Maybe they want. Maybe they don't want to call him up so he can be a part of the futures game, or it doesn't matter, and he's called up right around it. But he helps this team, and he's you know, arguably one of the better outfielders um, right now. Interesting. There might be, might be some politics around the futures game. There Uh, really is. That happens a lot. Well, because, you know, as an organization, you want to have some guys out there. And if you take him off of that roster by, uh, by bringing him to the major leagues, then do you get another guy in there? I don't know who the hell they would send. Yeah. Maybe Kyle Harrison, Carson Wisenhunt. Yeah, well, Maybe. he's got a really nice changeup. He's got one of the best changeups I've seen in the minors. He's insane. I asked him about it last year, too. He's crazy. But in either case, like having a position player out there for a team that has been having some trouble uh, producing young players, um, I think, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it's right after the All-Star break. So four weeks. Kind of a big cluster uh, with the three of these guys between Casey Schmidt, Carson Wisenhunt, and Luis Matos all having the years they're having. All guys that are either at the big league level or close to the big league level. Wisenhunt, maybe a little further away. Patrick Bailey. They needed that in San Francisco. They needed that infusion of young talent beyond Kyle Harrison and Marco Luciano, and it's come through for them. So kind of a big win. I have to admit, I mean, my impression of their farm system, what it's done has, has definitely improved this year. I I didn't quite see this coming in. And, and and I wonder if some of it is short term because I, I don't I'm still not 100 percent sold on Casey Schmidt's future. Uh, maybe it's a league average major league player in terms of wins above replacement. Uh, but I don't know if it's much more than that. I don't know if it's a fantasy asset, really. Um, and Bailey still has some swing and miss. Um, and I'm not sure that any of the, the group is a star. Um, but I do think maybe all of them are regulars. Yeah, right? Doesn't that seem like it's Schmidt, Bailey, and Matos are all hundred uh, percent? And and who would have thought too, by the way, that 
all of that's happening while Joey Bart is uh, being sent down and he's not an option anymore. You know, I mean, Joey Bart was the can't miss guy. Marco Luciano was the can't miss guy. And both have been huge swing and misses. While what the Giants are doing is I don't think they have top in real or fantasy talent. But they, like you said, they 100% have major league players that are going to be good compliments. The problem is that they just need to hit on star. They need to find oh, the star. Man. Closest Marcos to them is Matos. Uh, who? Marco Luciano. Oh, he's, he's awful. He's, he's horrid. Though. Yeah. It's he's been horrid, though. But, but the, the strikeout rate is, is pretty poor. Yeah. Is that a, a buy low in long-term leagues at Marco Luciano? Or is that a say Maybe. no? I mean, I mean, 21 in double A, we got we to gotta adjust that WRC+. plus. It's not terrible. He's had other strikeout years where he, I mean, he's at 30% now, but just last year was 22%. You know, I don't know. Uh, on the level of like last player in a deal or just pick him up and, you know, stash him, then yeah, I could still get with it a little bit. To that. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm just not super interested. I don't think like I'll just be wrong or miss out or think I'm over it. It's been too consistent this for so long and he is getting passed left and right he's inconsistent at every level he just had like a great week and like everyone's like hey look at marco luciana he's like hitting under 200 he's just not like he has lots of talent that does not get tapped into and he's had been injured and it hasn't happened i mean he was playing at the same level with corbin carroll at the same level with cj abrams at the same level with luis matos and look at how far everyone has gone past so maybe i'm not giving enough credit and he is still 21. So maybe it is solid and like a last player, but I'm not targeting Luciano is like, Hey, this is the buy low. I don't, I don't buy it. And I don't know what the, there needs to be a change. And is that change available? Like, is there someone in that giants organization that can fix whatever's going on? Are they just letting him go? But it's just the same stuff. It's strikeouts, injured strikeouts, injured. Never. This is the first time I think he's hit double a, it's like never get to triple a. We're going to save the dynasty movers for next week, which will be good because the list will actually be up. So then people can actually look at it. Good timing on that. I had one more player I wanted to ask about. I had two until Ronnie Mauricio's injury popped up. So let's talk about Tyler Soderstrom. Can he break through and actually contribute to the A's this season? Playing a little better in recent days, has a couple of homers, walking about as much as he's striking out over the last week. Very small sample. This is a guy at AAA who won't turn 22 until November. He's catching a little more than he's playing first base. Obviously, Shea Langoliers is going to play a lot behind the plate, so they can share that role and kind of rotate between first base and DH. I'm almost wondering if Ryan Noda is playing well enough where they can just wait a little longer on Tyler Soderstrom and see if he can become a bit more patient at the plate because he's got a weird offensive profile to me. Clearly, there's power. I think there's a pretty good hit tool, but he doesn't walk as much as you'd expect for those other tools being where they are. So what kind of player do you think Soderstrom's going to be Welsh? I think he's going to be a big impact bat. I think he's probably in the major league to minor league. He's probably a top four bat in that entire organization. Like I said, from majors to minors, <laughs> um, there's a big bit. I mean, the power is unreal the way he can turn on it. I don't love the strikeouts, but I would also kind of, if we're talking age to level stuff, you go and take a look and it's, you know, 26% at 21 years old where he's played the entire year and he played through last year. So I think there's also a, how much longer do the A's want to bring him down? If you were changing positions aggressively, maybe, but he's like a classic, he'll be the second catcher. He can play first. 
He might even be able to play in the outfield. I think they could put Noda on a quarter outfield. I just think the impact of the bat helps right now. But it's like, when do the A's want that? When do they care? There's enough going on. Do they want to push development? Um, but I think he will be up this year. I think it's a, he's a second half guy, and I think he's hitting five or six for this team. So I'm very much in on uh, on Tyler Soderstrom. He he's like a top of the list guy. Rest of season, I'm trying to pick up. Yeah, it seems like you could actually trade for him somewhat easily because he's lagging in WRC plus and some of the things yeah. we're always looking at with prospects on the brink of debuting. I'd be curious, you know, I mean, have you heard the organ, like you were poking around on the Matos front. Have you heard anything on Sodastrom? Well, I've got my green and gold on today because I'm <laughs> uh, headed to the reverse boycott, but uh, I have not been uh, talking to them. I mean, they're, uh, they're honestly not in the greatest position to start clocks as much as that is a dumb uh, thing that we get annoyed by. I don't know that they need to start Tyler Sodastrom's clock. Plus, if he's uh, splitting time catching and uh, playing first base uh, and there's still a chance that he can be a, a catcher, that usually means for a later debut, as most catchers get. Uh, it usually just means there's more time to be spent uh, honing that part of his craft. And then lastly, the weirdest thing for me is his line is 258, 313, 550, which looks amazing 292 iso you know 258 average 26 and a half percent strikeout rate for soda Strom, but like you know uh, the rest of that line looks great it's a 91 wrc plus that's vegas isn't it mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy uh i don't i do like the 113 and a half max ev so there's definite juice in that bat um but uh, his line is not as good as it looks. And uh, you have to go back to a ball in 2022 to get a significantly good WRC plus just a, just a note that I have. I mean, it's just weird that we all agree that, you know, that this guy has power and it looks good and he's probably going to be a major league hitter. And yet his WRC plus, if you summed it up for the last, you know, 500 plate appearances is below average. Yeah, I'm going to dig around a bit more and try to find a comp before next week just because I, I'm in. And I'm like, what other players with this profile have I been in on in the past? Mm-hmm. And how has that actually worked out for me? No doubt like about five, that power. 5%. You know who this reminds me a little bit of? Is Paul DeYoung. 5% walk rate, 30% strikeout rate, legit power, and uh, a defensive position that's valuable. So, you know, that, that affords you more chances. You can look at uh, how up and down Paul DeYoung's career has been and how you know he's been afforded chances after he's looked terrible uh, because he can still play shortstop. Uh, and Paul DeYoung has been a valuable player in the big leagues, but for his career, he's hit 232, 306, 430 uh, with a 98 WRC+, plus, uh, good defense that's uh, made him a valuable real-life player. Uh, but how often has Paul DeYoung been a valuable fantasy player? Maybe two, three times in his career. Something I'll do this real quick because I know we're getting out of here. I just have this vivid memory. This was right off of COVID. I was over at the Rangers facility. I'm at the Rangers, by the way. Rangers are playing the Mariners. And I'm standing there at the fence as I do. And I got two coaches next to me. And all of a sudden, this coach starts talking about Tyler Soderstrom. Mm -hmm. Rangers and Mariners. This is not the A's. And this guy is just ran. And this is, I'm like, this is crazy. And he's talking about Tyler Soderstrom. And the thing that stood out that that coach was saying is he's like, he's one of the most talented players he's ever worked with, but you couldn't tell him anything. 
like Soderstrom was one of those guys that he had already had it in his head. His path was, he knew what he needed to do. And lightly saying taking to coaching was a tougher thing because he would, you could say it to him and he's like, okay, but he always did his own thing because this was his life. And he's kind of an intense guy. I've actually been around him uh, in a thing before. He's he's kind of like a really intense guy. And I wonder how that's kind of gone in the process of you know changing positionally first and catching and hitting and how he's going to take to all of this as far as like we don't see the walks and the strikeouts. And it, I don't know how anecdotal it really is, but it's always stood out to me. Of I, It's the only time I've ever heard coaches and many times I've been in the backfield talking about a player on the other side of town that had nothing to do with that game. And it was like, that's the, the, the level of impact that they thought of his bat and who he could be versus what he was willing but to be as far as But also the thing they it, were saying was like negative. At a hundred percent. And how like, they're, I mean, I'm not going to say everything they said, but it was, it, it was implying <laughs> his ability to be coached was one of the most difficult things and this person you, had And then you put him in Vegas that paper was over any flaws that he might have. Like, yeah, yeah, what just, if he was, you know, isn't, isn't uh, the Florida league that that's the one that's pitches friendly pitcher friendliest uh yeah i would say i mean i think so you're talking about complex uh no like florida i don't know if it exists anymore the florida state league or something the well there's the florida uh complex, complex? league that's going on there, there's also the like florida atlantic and stuff like that. i mean but he's been playing and he's been arizona no, based I, and a professional league anyway uh one yeah. of the minor leagues that has the most uh, pitcher friendly parks i wonder mm. what his line would look like I, uh, th- I mean, it's, it's something to and worry would about. He like, reconsider, would he reconsider, you know, uh, his stance towards coaching or whatever? Yeah. And that's what I would be. I would love more of that because one thing I point out is also he's one of those like huge max EV guys. He put up like 114 on Brandon fought at the beginning of the year. Like he has got monstrous big power. It's just the ability to make consistent contact is the question. And then I throw in just anecdotally, like, Hey, you just wonder, you know, like how right. much is being picked up as far as coaching is goes and how much is that happening in the A's system anyways? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Got it in there. Good jab at the, the final gotcha. bell too. Really well done uh, on our way out the door. A quick reminder, you can get a subscription for $2 a month at the athletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter. You can find Welsh at, is it the Welsh? You can find, Eno at, you Saris. you can find me, at Derek Van Riper. If you had a question for a future episode, send that our way via email, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.